Okay, today we're going to continue in our sermon series called Navigating Life Well. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about being humble, what, what humility looks like. This is such an important subject for you to hear about today, to hear about gospel-driven humility, because our nature is to be prideful. What comes natural to us is to be prideful. It's, you don't tell me what to do. I can do it on my own. I don't need any help. I'm not going to conform to the will of God, the will of command. I can do this. I got it. We walk around with haughty looks and prideful looks and say we got it. But really the most prideful men, the most prideful women are the weakest. Because if we truly evaluate ourselves in our brokenness, in the brokenness of this world, in the holiness of God, in our sinfulness, you cut yourself down to true size. And in Proverbs 11.2, it says this. This is the scripture we'll be teaching from today. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble comes wisdom. Now, we don't have, because of time, I could preach an hour and a half message on this, so I can't really get into the ins and outs of pride. But let me tell you this. Pride is horrible. God hates pride. There's few things in the Bible that God says he hates. It says he absolutely hates pride, and he opposes pride. And pride comes before the fall. Just when we think we got to get it all together, just, just when we think we don't need God, we don't need his community, we don't need the gospel, that's when the fall comes. I remember Dave, Pastor Dave, sharing a story at men's Bible study. And in the story, he said uh, he was feeling good. He was about 20 years old, and he was playing rugby, and he was doing all, he was working out. He felt sliced up. He felt like sweet butter in the summer sun. He felt shredded. He, he called out his weight. I don't know if he gave us his waist size, but he said, I was feeling good. He said, I got so prideful. I was just walking around like, who's the man up in here? Copper brown tan, butted up, feeling good. And he said he went for a light trot one day in that prideful demeanor. And he said he was just enjoying life. He felt like everyone was looking at him. I don't know if they were. All of a sudden, he fell on his face. He scraped up his whole face, all his buttercream body. And he said, I knew God was saying to me in a small way, stop being so prideful for yourself, about yourself. Be humble. And he showed up with sunglasses to class next day, all banged up. But that's a lighter story about pride in a fall. But we have much deeper issues with pride in our life. And many times, all the time, pride brings you to a fall. But when we actually go to our knees and say, God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to those who say, I need your strength because I'm weak. See, St. Francis, I don't know if any of you ever heard of St. Francis. People would mob to him when he preached anywhere he was. And they didn't say he was particularly um, gifted speaker or anything like that. And one day a guy couldn't figure it out. He said, why do so many people come to hear you? Why is your ministry doing so good? Why are people following you as a leader? 
He said, because God could not find a lower man. God could not find a more sinful man. God could not find a weaker man to do his bidding for him. So I want you to hear today the rewards of humility. Because in our culture, we look at humility as a bad thing. Don't show your weakness. Don't show that you need help. Put your costume on. Don't you dare show that. But the kingdom of God is totally different. He says, show me your weakness, and I will give you your strength. Give me the least of days, and I will make them vessels of honor in the kingdom of God. I had the honor of being part of somebody's fifth step. I don't know if anyone knows what that is. I mean, I know a little. I'm not claiming to be a pro on it, but in AA, they got a 12-step program. In the fifth step, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't, I'm not claiming to be a genius on this, but you have to confess all your wrongdoings to another person, or at least in their presence. And so I had the privilege, someone asked me to be part of that. They said, Joey, I feel comfortable around you. I'll be honored if you can come and sit through my fifth step with me. And I said, absolutely, I'd be honored. And I felt privileged to be part of it. And I looked up on it a little bit, and I wasn't sure exactly how it would be. And I won't use the person's name, even though I don't think they would mind. I showed up. I was in the office. Dave, we just told a story about you. <laughs> showed up in the office on a Sunday afternoon. And this person showed up with three notebooks. And I was ready. I really was in no rush. I said, brother, you take your time. I had my honeydew coffee. I said, let's do this. He showed up with three notebooks and said, Joey, this is going to take time. I said, I'm ready to do this. The notebooks were filled with all of his wrongdoings. Because part of it, you write down your wrongdoings, we also could call that your sins. And he sat down and opened one book, and we began the process of him confessing. Not that I was going to forgive his sins, but just him humbly confessing all his wrongdoings towards every person he had hurt in his life. And I thought to myself, how humble this is. How humble it is for a man to be willing to bring himself what the world would consider low and open up his book and confess his sins and his wrongdoing to every person. He was being authentic. He wasn't holding anything back. And we went through the whole thing. It took a few hours to get through every notebook. And at the end, we got on our knees, two men on their knees, and prayed to God for the strength. I remember thinking, I can't remember the last time I got on my knees with another man and prayed to God. I remember thinking, if someone ever walked by this room, this would be so foreign to them. They'd be like, what's wrong with these brothers? Sunday afternoon, isn't there a Pats game on? We got on our knees, and it was the most humbling and rewarding place. Because when you're on your knees before God, you're in the right place. Most men, where do you find them? You find them in groups just like, (laughs) just strong, I don't need nothing. I'm eating concrete, drinking gasoline. And you're like, dude, you ain't that strong, dog. (laughs) You ain't strong. I remember thinking about the humility and the honor and the reward of being a part of that. And I remember saying, this is the the kingdom of God.
is all about. Where there is humility, there is happiness. Where there is humility, there is honor. Where there is humility, there's a man or a woman who glorifies their God. Now, humility is this. I want you to hear this definition, and we'll get deeper into it. If you just said, I don't have to bring any. If I was doing my fifth step, I wouldn't need no books. I need maybe a note card or like those fortune cookie slips that would say my fault for being late for this meeting. If you just said, I wouldn't show up with no books, you're prideful, you need to check yourself, and you have no idea what the holiness of God is and the gospel of God is. Now, if you just said, I need like hundreds of notebooks. I need to take off work for about a year to get down all my sins. Then you get humility. There is only one person who would show up at that table and not need, need even a note card, not even need a slip, not need a notebook, and that's Jesus Christ. And because of his perfect work, And because of his perfect person and because of his perfect love, he took all of our notebooks filled up with sin, hundreds of them, thousands of them, and he tossed them into the fire through his work on the cross. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that your notebook is clean because of Jesus. So let's dive in and define humility right here. It's important that we have a working definition of humility And as I went to the dictionary, you know, you get this simple, (coughs) this simple definition. It says to have a modest or low view of one's own importance, humbleness. That's definitely, you could define humility like that. But that's not a gospel-driven definition of humility. Because it gives the definition of humility without the light in the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what I want us to have is a gospel-driven humility right now. And I don't know, if if you're doing any reading or looking for any books, C.J. Mahaney, True Greatness, is a great book on humility. Some practical stuff, some gospel-driven, sound theological stuff. And this is how he gives the definition, and please hear this. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves. In the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. I want to say that one more time. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. You know the mistake we make sometimes? We compare ourselves to each other. And you guys always hear me say that. That's like one trash can comparing itself to another trash can. Like, come on, this stuff. He's got more dirt coming out of there. Look, he's got last week dinner coming out of there. I'm doing good. It reminds me, this is the parable of the two yards, and some of you have heard this. If you look at my house, and you look to the left of my house, you're going to see a lot of weeds on my neighbor's house. You're going to see crabgrass. You're going to see he hasn't have his, has his, haven't had his house sided, say that quick five times, since 1942. And this brother just doesn't care. He just shows up with his truck from 1954. He works in his car, and the grass just grows. There's stuff living in there. You know, the deer are just pasturing. Like, it's just a horrible yard. You look it to the right at my other neighbor's yard. It's like the new heavens and the new earth. This brother's grass. I don't know if he's cutting it with scissors or using a lawnmower. He makes me feel guilty all the time. 
Not only does he manicure his lawn, not only does he cover his bushes during the winter, but he smiles the whole time. And I look over there and I say, man. I look to the right, look to the left, and I say, man, I got a good yard. My yard's not that bad, man. I got a great yard. Weeds just gone. I look to the right and I say, man, I got a horrible yard. Call the landscaper. Every time. That's the same thing we do in our life. We look at other people and we see their yards. And we say, man, they're a mess. I'm doing good. And what do we talk about at our kitchen table? How bad they are and how we would never do that. We ain't that kind of people. I pick the kind of people I hang around with. What are you talking about? You're horrendous. I'm horrendous. Because we're looking at the wrong yard. And then we look at the holiness of God and what happens? We say, I'm absolutely undone. I'm disgusting. I'm talking from the past. I'm undone. I'm horrible. I'm a sinner. How dare I ever talk about anyone else's yard when I look at my yard? And that's what happened to the prophet Isaiah. Now, I want you to get an idea who the prophet Isaiah is. This would be the equivalent of the Pope, right? The Pope having a, I mean, just for culture's sake, because everyone thinks the Pope, everyone gets serious, kissing rings, it gets serious when the Pope comes, right? The Pope having an encounter with God where he see God in all his holiness. Isaiah was the prophet or the man of God who everyone looked to, who they would consider the, to be the holy man who would give them the revelation of God. And this is what happens to Isaiah when he sees God in all his holiness. This is his response. If you want to turn with me, if you could turn to Isaiah 6, 1 through 6, we can read that together. It says in Isaiah 6, 1 through 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two covered his face, with two covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one, he call, and one called to another and said, like we just sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah's response, hear this. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I have man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away, and your sin has been atoned for. What is Isaiah's response when he sees a perfect, holy, holy, holy God? Does he say, Finally, I found my equal. Someone who gets it. Finally, someone who gets it? No. He falls to his knees. He's totally undone. He yells out, exclamation point, Woe is me. Like, I shouldn't even be here in the presence of this holy God. I am lost. I am undone. The holy man. Think of the holiest guy you can think of in town, right? 
He says, I'm, the Holy Spirit saying, I'm absolutely lost. I'm an absolute sinner. I'm totally undone. Not, the, not only does he come aware of his sinfulness. He says, not only am I a sinner, everyone around me is sinners. We're all sinners. He becomes aware of the sinfulness of his culture, the sinfulness of his people, the sinfulness of the community. That's what the holiness of God and the gospel of God should do to us. We shouldn't say, woe is us, everyone else is a sinner, I'm good. You start with yourself. We are the undone, we are lost, we are sinners. That's where humility starts. God's holiness and our sinfulness. And then what happens at the end of that passage? The gospel gets applied. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. You should rehearse that every day of your life. Every day I try to say, because I'm constantly aware that, man, I'm a sinner, I'm undone. I say, man, I'm a sinner. Man, God is holy. But man, he's loving and gracious and my slate has been wiped clean. You get in such a place of humility and it gives you rewards that pride could never give you. Pride gives you the fall. Humility brings wisdom and humility brings honor. A humble life is a happy life. If you try to live prideful, your life is going to be miserable. But if you live humble, you will receive the joy of the Lord and the pleasures of humility. Jonathan Edwards wrote this. He wrote, the pleasures of humility are really the most refined, inward, and exquisite, exquisite delights. These do use words like exquisite. Delights in the world. He said it's the most rewarding thing to be a humble man. That's 100% true. Have you ever gone through something horrible in your life and it cut you down the size in all the right ways? He said, man, I don't want any more of that prideful stuff, man. If I can only stay here knowing who God is and knowing who I am and living in the light of the gospel, I never want to leave this place of humility because God is here. And that's what we want, right? We want God. We want joy. He's the only one who fully satisfies. And when you're humble in light of the gospel, you find pleasure, you find joy that this world and your pride can never and could never bring. It says in Isaiah 66 too, it says God looks upon the humble with pleasure. This would be like a parent. <coughs> you know how a parent looks at their child when they're proud? Have you ever seen that? There's just so much pure joy when they look at their child and they're following God or they're serving God. You say, wow, I'm proud of you. The other day, you know, we, um, like every parent, we're discipling our kid and our children in the gospel. And my daughter came up to Natalie and she came up to me and she said, I was going to hit Talia, but God told me not to. I said, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. What you did out there in the field. That kind of humility, when we have humility in our life, it draws the gaze of God. A heavenly father looks down and says, I'm proud of my children. His grace is drawn to, his grace favors the humble and it 
opposes the proud. It says in 2 Chronicles 7, 9, that the eyes of the Lord search all the earth to look for a humble heart and a pure heart. That God is actually drawn and his grace goes towards the humble. When you are humble, it's like a magnet for God's grace in your life. He looks for you in that weak state. He looks when you're contrite and saying, I need you, Father. And his grace is there. It's sufficient. It says he gives sufficient strength to the humble, to those who cry out and say they need help. Cry out and say, I can't do this alone. I need you. The third thing that humility is rewarding, another reward of humility is that you can actually encourage people. If you're someone who has a problem complimenting people, then you most likely have a problem with pride. Because prideful people can't say anyone did anything good. You know, they could be out there as missionaries, you know, giving, saving children, and they'll see them on a post on Facebook and be like, I don't like his shorts. Who's that dude wearing shorts out in there, like on the mission field like that? Like they cannot encourage, prideful people can't encourage others because they feel if they encourage others, it's a threat to their pride, a threat to their reputation, a threat to their stance. And I, I constantly repent of this, but I really had to repent of this in the past year because I realized I had a tremendous amount of pride when it come, it came to other pastors and other churches. They couldn't do anything right in my eyes. You know? Why'd they get that kind of facility? They trying to be a mega church. I just couldn't do anything. Why is he having that bracelet campaign? That's goofy. Like I couldn't, I, everything I did, no matter what people did, I found something wrong with it. I'm telling you, little details, he should stand up while he preached. Why is he sitting down? He don't get the gospel. You know, and it was all this prideful stuff that I finally said, there's something wrong with me. I'm having a prideful heart. When it comes to, I'm not cheering. That would be the equivalent, we're Patriots fans, right? That would be the equivalent of a dude on the Patriots tackling Tom Brady, right? We're all on the same team. What would you do if you looked over and the front line turned around and tackled Brady? Say, what's wrong with these brothers? Got some issues. They need to work through during practice on Wednesday. Our pride leads us to tackle people on our own team. And that's what I was doing. I couldn't, I couldn't be for other pastors. I couldn't be up for other churches. Sometimes I couldn't be for other people. I had to find faults. I repented deeply. And it was so freeing to cheer for others, to encourage others, to be for other churches, to recommend other churches, to point people to other churches, to say other churches do stuff better than you do. Do you know there's churches out there that do stuff way better than us? There's better preachers. There's better facilities. We know that. Let's not lie to each other. There's one bathroom. There's just better. There's churches that have better staff. I had to come grip with that. And it was so freeing to live in that place in humility. I encourage you so much in life. Are there people who you oppose because you're proud? Let that go. Cheer for them. Love them. Encourage them. Be for them. Humility frees you to be yourself. That's another reward of humility. Isn't it horrible trying to be prideful and being what you think other people think you should be so you're accepted? Or so you're in control, 
those kind of things, that's a horrible place to the prize all. Humility is looking at yourself and saying, I don't have a lot to be prideful about. I've got a lot to be humble about. That's an exercise I want you to do this week. Go home and write down what you should be humble about. More notebooks. I fill them up. Let me give you a few things that I, I look at myself and I say, man, I got a lot to be humble about. I don't got much to be prideful about, but I got a lot to be humble about. My freshman year in high school, I was on the freshman basketball team. I ran the wrong way twice in one season. How can I ever boast? Twice. That means the coach said, Joey, you're in. I got up, jumped in the game, got the ball, and just started going towards the other hoop. Not even noticing no one was covering me. Now, once bad enough, people talk, oh, he could have had a rough day, right? Joey, you're in. The wrong way again. How could I ever boast? I got a lot to be humble about. I got a car. Someone gave me a car when I was like 20, 19. And they told me that the car needed oil. I said, all right, I'll put oil in this car. Mikey G, you were there. You're part of this. That's part of your notebook too, Mikey. Me and Mikey G opened up the hood. I said, where you put the oil? Holding the oil. I said, I don't know where it goes. Maybe it goes right here. I looked at Mikey. I said, Mikey, it look good? He said, yeah, it looks good to me. I put the oil in the antifreeze container. Just me and Mikey like working on cars, dog. You know how we do around here. Handy. I got a lot to be humble about. Last one. I'm in the gym. I'm on the arm curls. You know, the machine, I'm feeling good. Getting in shape. Looking good. See my veins. I finished my set. I'm waiting on the side. A woman comes over. Says, can I jump in? I'm thinking, you can jump in, but you're going to have to knock that down a little. She jumps in. She puts it up one and starts pumping them out on me. I'm sitting there like, I hope no one's looking at just, look at me. See my vein. She was just pumping them out. And I said, I got a lot to be humble about. Haven't been to the gym since, but I'm going to work through that and get back. Those are some light things that we have so much to be humble about. So much to be humble about. But even more, when we get into the deep things of our deep sins, of our known sins, of our unknown sins, a man cannot stand at the foot of cross and say, I have a reason to be prideful. He says, I have every reason to be humble. The cross outs every single one of us. The cross is crying out many things, but it's crying out, you and me are grave sinners in need of tremendous grace. And I want to read this to you. John Stott wrote this. This is a beautiful thing to think about. Because I really want to get you to a place, get me to a place of cultivating humility in our life. He said, every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to be saying to us, I am here because of you. It is your sins I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. Nothing in history 
or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink down to our true size. Who can be prideful at the foot of the cross? As God's own son, the perfect one, the perfect lamb of God, bore every one of our sins, bore the punishment that was ours to bear, and died the death that was ours to die. Who can be prideful in the light of the cross? So I want to just give you some daily habits to cultivate humility that you really should work into your daily diet, your spiritual diet, to really cultivate humility. The first one is you should start off every day with prayer, depending on God. When we start our days without recognizing that we need God, we are making a statement. Sometimes without even knowing it. You know those real busy days where you want to get up and just pace? Like I do that. I get up, before you know it, I've done 13 laps around my house, and I say, man, I've got to pray. I've got to stop, pray, and put my dependence on God. That's why the Our Father is so beautiful, because it's a daily prayer. It says, give us our daily bread. Keep me away from temptation and evil today. Let your name be glorified in my life today. I would recommend getting on your knees. I don't want to get legalistic, but I would recommend that. Something about getting on your knees during prayer is really rewarding and really gets you in the right place. Now find a place you can go. Jesus tells us to find a secret place. Find a place where no one's going to cheer you on, no one's going to say, look at him pray. It's just you and the Father. And he rewards those who seek him in prayer. Seek him in the morning. Start off your day like that. It doesn't have to. See, people think they have to wake up and pray for an hour and a half. And you're timing yourself, right? To see if you're a spiritual giant. 13 minutes today, tomorrow going to do 15, really bringing it. The only thing, God never warned. Jesus never preached against long prayers. He preached. Yes, he did preach against long prayers. He never preached against short prayers. He rebuked those who preached long because they thought that God would hear them because they preached long. There are nothing wrong with short prayers. A lot of us don't develop a healthy prayer life because we think it needs to be a certain amount, a certain time, or a certain way. Come with your heart. By God the Holy Spirit, pray as long as God leaves you, leads you, as long as you feel, and move on. But start off your day like that. Secondly, the way you view your day is important. Perspective is huge on your day. If you're going to say, this is a horrible day, they're making me do this at work today, I feel low, I feel real low. Look at the lowliness as a way to get to know Jesus. Say, you want me to do something low? You want me to do something people ain't going to cheer about? I'm going to do it because that's exactly what Jesus did when he came to die for us. Some people will look at carpentry and say, son of God can't be a carpenter. It's good enough for Jesus. He was a tradesman. He was in, in construction. People would consider that tremendously lowly. But Jesus did it for us. I had to crawl into a space this week. I said, I'm too good of a preacher to crawl into this space. Right? 
All the things that go into my mind. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. As my legs shimmied into the crawl space, I sat down that mat, and I said, this is a way to identify with God. I'm in this little crawl space, up against rocks, tiny little junction box of electrical, and I said, this is a great way to identify with Jesus. It's so important. I know people who look at jobs too lowly. There is no job that is too low because the lowest jobs bring you to a place where you can identify with Jesus. End your day with prayer. How do you guys end your day? I used to end my day with that movie I've been watching for three months. You know, like Dark Knight. I watched the first 15 minutes, fall asleep. Now I watch the next 15 minutes, fall asleep. You can still do that, but pray after. It is so important to end your day in a humble way. Do you end your day and say, what a horrendous day. What a horrible day. And you look at every negative thing that happened during that day. Because some of us are drawn to negativity we don't even know. What we sit down and do, or we lay down and do, is we sit down. If our wife or our husband's in bed with us, we go through the list. And this is the list we go through. I can't stand that person still. The person at work did this to me. I don't want to work there anymore. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. I don't like them. I'm too good for this. Let's move on. What you should really end your day with, what is a humble way to end your day is identify God's grace for that day, even in the toughest circumstance. I'm going to encourage you today. Look for the evidence of God's grace. You ever met that person? They only see negative? Prideful heart. The person who sees good in everything? Humble heart. You know that person? You could be practically dying, and they'll be like, I mean, Joe Vec does this. You'll be like, I got this thing growing on my head, man. What's wrong? You'll be like, it's a sugar pimple. It's a good thing. That means your body's working. Like anything, you'll be like, my arm's falling off, and you got another one. You don't use that one that much. Good day, good day. We need to identify the evidence of God's grace and what he's done good for us that day. And end our night with that in the scripture saying, God, you were so good to me. You've been so good to me. And go through the list of the evidence of God's grace. And finally, if you're married, pray with your husband, pray with your wife before you go to bed. Let everything settle down and do that. It's so hard. Everything else in you says, I don't want to do this. <coughs> it is so rewarding. And you will start seeing God answer prayers that you pray. If you're single, hopefully no one else is in bed with you. Pray before you go to bed and see God's grace, the evidence of God's grace that day. And finally, last thing, receive sleep as a gift from God. You know, humble people sleep, prideful people can't go to sleep. Because they're up too busy pacing, controlling the world. Let me just think about this 20 more minutes and it will change. Right? Believe me, I think like, I just pace, about to change something. About to think about it, worry about it enough, it's going to change this. God looks at us and says, I know every hair on your head. Go to bed. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. A rapper. <laughs> Go to sleep. <laughs> Receive sleep. I'm talking to myself. 
Let God be God. We act like God can't be God while we go to sleep. Right? Man, if I go to sleep, this going to... No, God has everything in control. Go to sleep. Don't be anxious. Be humble enough to accept sleep, to pray. Cultivate those daily habits. And I'll close with this scripture. If we could turn to Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Because this is the mind. This is the heart. I want you to have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being full of cord and of one mind doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray.